0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: I am the God of Jacob. He relates himself to a person and a flaky person at that. And God's not ashamed to be called your God. Think about that when you're in school and you're a little bit ashamed to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Mock me if you want. He's not ashamed of you.
0: We can slip into living comfortably in this world, forgetting that this is not our home. We are simply passing through. Yes, we have a mission and a purpose while we're here, but it is very much a waiting room for the believer who waits in and trusts Christ. We wait for the eternal city and the one who promised he is preparing a place for us. With part two of Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight through 19, here's Robert Furrow.
1: It's been a few years since I've done uh, weddings. I I don't do them anymore. I used to do them, and I, I used to have counseling sessions I would do for those who I was marrying. I would add seven of them. One of them was on conflict resolution. There's a couple that's getting ready to get married. They come to me, and they say, hey, would you marry us? And sure, but I need you to do these classes with me. And so in the very beginning of conflict resolution, I would ask them, have you guys had a big fight yet? Periodically, the couple would say to me, we love each other we don't fight. We would never fight. To which I would know you guys are in for a big surprise. I would say, nevertheless, let's talk about conflict resolution. How do you handle a conflict? How do you come to an end of the conflict? How do you forgive out of a conflict? How do you do those things? When me and my wife were married, she was, she was about ready to turn 20 and I was about ready to turn 22, but we were young. We'd known each other for a year and a half We'd kept ourselves pure. We had all these expectations for our marriage. I remember our first blow up. We were in our apartment. It was our first apartment. We'd gotten in a fight and Wah! Next thing you know, she walked out the door, down the steps and down the street. And I'm following her in my Jeep. Honey, would you get in the car? I'm not gonna get in the car. Please get in the car. I'm not gonna get in the car. I'm sorry, we get in the car. I'm not gonna get in the car. Come on, honey, get in the car. I fall out a mile, two miles, three miles. Now I realize I'm the only person in this room that's ever had that experience. <laughs> None of you guys have ever had anything like that. Well, with marriage, you have your expectations and then your expectations aren't met. We have people that will call us a couple of weeks after being married. Can we annul our marriage? I don't want to be married anymore. (laughs) The answer is no. We don't have annulment for your marriage. But then marriage becomes something you never thought it would be. I was married for 30 years with Lisa and that marriage became something that was far beyond what my expectations were. I had expectations, but it was far greater than that. The Christian life is like that. When God says, follow me, give up everything and follow me. And we begin to follow him. And then we learn, boy, this is difficult and it's hard. And people mock me and people judge me because I'm a Christian. And it's difficult and it's tough. But I tell you what, you hang in there and you are going to a place that is far beyond, far greater than anything that you have ever thought. Even if you don't experience it here, you will experience it. And that's what Abraham did. It says in verse nine, by faith, he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for a city whose foundations, whose builder and maker was God. His nephew Lot went and moved into the city of Sodom, but Abraham didn't want to move there because he was an alien. He was a foreigner. He was a pilgrim. He lived in tents and he traveled around because he didn't belong in any of those cities. And the truth is you and I are called to be lights in the midst of this city, but we don't belong in this city. This isn't our home. You ever look at the news or watch what happens or hear some judgment that some judge makes and go, I don't understand it. I don't understand this world. What's going on? What are they doing? Where are they going? What's going on with this world? You ever feel that way? Good. You're supposed to. If you said to me, I'm 100% comfortable with this world, I love it, I love all the politics, I love everything going on in the world. If you said that, I'm gonna say, oh, you've got some problems with your faith. No, I'm not saying if you like politics that you've got problems with your faith, but I think you do. But anyway, that's <laughs> it's my opinion, all right? I'm not saying that, you know, biblically. I'm just saying, all right? But here's the truth. We're only passing through. And if we're only passing through, then we're not too connected to this world. And I see it regularly. This is not my home. And when I see the news or hear the news, I go, this is not my home. I don't understand why people do what they do. I don't understand what's going on in the world. And I often say, if I were running things, and I don't know whether you guys would be happy to have me run things or not, but I often say, if I were running things, things would run a whole lot different. And I have a feeling you say the same thing because we are not from here. We're aliens. You might not have a finger that lights up and say, E.T., phone home, but you're an alien nevertheless. <laughs> you don't belong here. Neither did Abraham. Now, Farrah, uh, Farrah, Sarah who was fair, also received, it says in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past the age. What does the past the age mean? She had gone through menopause. She was past the age. In fact, she was 89 years old when she conceived. And it says she was past the age, but she bore a child because she judged him faithful who had promised. It wasn't about Sarah grabbing something that God had never promised her. Faith is receiving God's promises. Faith isn't getting something God hasn't promised. She was faithful and believed that, or she believed that God was faithful for what he had promised. Well, when did God promise this? Well, Abraham was hanging out in his tent and I think it was a place called Mamre. And all of a sudden, two angels and the Lord come in the form of men. And they hang out with Abraham in the porch of his tent. Sarah prepares a meal for him. And then she's back in the tent, but she's listening to what the guys are saying outside. So all of a sudden, the Lord says to Abraham, when I come back by this time next year, Sarah, your wife, 89 years old, past the age of childbearing, is going to have a child. The Bible says Sarah's inside the tent. She laughs. You'd probably laugh too. You're 89 years old. (laughs) You're going to have a child in a year. (laughs) What are you thinking? And so the Lord said to Abraham, why'd your wife laugh? And from inside the tent, Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And God says, oh, yes, you did. She's 89 years old. And it says, by faith, she received. By faith, she received. What does it mean that she receives? All of a sudden, I don't know what it took. I don't know. She's laying there at night, and all of a sudden, she goes, God's gonna give me a kid. And if God's gonna give me a kid, I gotta get together with the old man. (laughs) And all of a sudden, she says, Abraham, come here. (laughs) He's a hundred. (laughs) What? What are you talking about? Now, God had to do a work in both of them because she's gone through menopause and he has his problems. And if you don't believe me, look at the next verse. It says in verse 12, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead. (laughs) That's what it says. Now, I hope I don't have to explain what him as good as dead is, all right? Sarah, come on over here, honey. What? (laughs) Come on. She has faith to believe and they conceive. And all of a sudden, Sarah, 89 years old, has a baby bun, has a baby bubble all of a sudden showing. 89 years old. I don't know. Can you picture that? 89-year-old woman? (laughs) Baby (laughs) bun. What it looks like anyway. I don't know. I, I don't get it. And then nine months pregnant, a 90-year-old woman? When, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, I had an upholstery shop, and I, one of the things that I did to supplement our income was fix cars up and sell them. And I had gotten an MG Midget. Do you guys remember those cars? Now, there was a small MG Midget and there was a smaller MG Midget, a little roadster. And I'd gotten the smaller of the MG Midgets, and I'd had it completely redone and was having some trouble selling it. So I sold Lisa's car, and she drove the Midget. She's nine months pregnant. I got a picture of her getting into the car when she's nine months pregnant with Jessica. It's a pretty funny picture. (laughs) But could you imagine a 90-year-old nine-month pregnant woman getting into the car, what it would look like? Or trying to sit down, right? Not making fun of you gals who are nine-month pregnant, but you look funny when you're trying to sit down. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna sit down now. Imagine. I'm sure Sarah's like, just pile them up on a wall. I'll lean, okay? (laughs) And then she has the child. And she names the baby Isaac and the name means laughter. We laugh with her, we laugh at her. (laughs) But she laughed because she had a kid. For 90 years, she was barren. Now, in our day and age, not having children doesn't mean nothing. There is no stigma to a woman who doesn't have kids, but there was in their day. In their day, it meant something. And she had lived with being barren in their day for 90 years. And now she had that little baby, and it brought laughter into their home, and it brought joy into their home. And they received it because she believed. She believed and received, and God did a work in them. Now it says, therefore, verse 12: From one man, and him being as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore." Abraham never saw that. Abraham believed it by faith and received it. He became the father of, of the whole nation of Israel and the majority of the Arab peoples, but he never saw it. He had a couple sons, Ishmael, who he had, the child of the flesh, which he had before God gave him Isaac and then Isaac. Then after Sarah died, he remarried and had a few more kids. God fixed him, fixed him for good. And he had a few more kids along the line before he finally died. His son, Isaac, had a couple kids, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob had 12 kids, and Jacob had about 100, what's 149, I think, if I remember my numbers right. He had 149 kids, so they were on their way, but he never saw it. You may never see the result of your faith. You may see it from afar off. You may believe what God's going to do, but never see it. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Do you confess that you're a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? Just looking out at you now. Are you a pilgrim and a stranger here? Are you a pilgrim? I just had to throw that out there. A little John Wayne. I just couldn't help it anymore. Are you a stranger here, really? I mean, this, this, or is this earth your home? It's not, you think, but you confess it. Do you tell your children, this isn't where we belong? We have a heavenly country. We have a city prepared for us. Jesus said, I'm going away, and if I go away, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm gonna come back and get you that where I am, there you may be also. God has prepared a place for me. I... Uh, during our conference, I hung out a little bit with Levi Lesko. Just a few days after Lisa went to be with the Lord in December, his little girl had an asthma attack and she died. So we were talking together and we were just kind of hurting together. You know, there's some people going through things and you don't have to say, I know what you're going through. You just know that they do. And we were talking and he said, I, I wonder where she's at. I wonder where she's at up in heaven now and who's taking care of her. And it kind of broke my heart. You kind of see the heart of a father whose little girl has gone to heaven and. Who's taking care of her? And we just began to talk about passages we know. God preparing a place and God clothing us in heaven. And we found comfort in the pages of scripture of God preparing a place. God's prepared a place for you. He's prepared a place for me. He's prepared a heavenly kingdom and it's not here. That's why we live for him today and we do what matters for the future. It goes on to say in verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Those who say what kind of things? That confess that they're a stranger and a pilgrim here on the earth. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back to Ur. These people could go back to the law if they wanted to. You and I could go back to the world, but for what? What? What does the world have to offer you that's any more than what it had to offer you when you came out of it? You already know that it's a dead end. It's funny how we begin to have some nostalgia about the world and that we came out of. We hear some old song and go, oh yeah, I remember that. But we forget the emptiness and the loneliness and the uncertainty and the pain and the sorrow that people are living in today and so desperately need Him. Verse 16 But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. I love the way that's worded, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God's not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Professors and colleges try to shame the kids who are Christians Listen, if you're in school and those professors are trying to do that, stand up strong for Jesus. There's a day you will see him in all of his glory and you will be amazed that you were ever tempted to be ashamed of him. But the amazing thing is not that you are tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. The amazing thing is that Jesus is not ashamed of you, of me, and that he's not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because those guys were flakes. We study Abraham and All right, and Isaac, and he had some of his problems. Remember there, as he's older, he wants to bless his sons. He doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He wants to bless the son that he's not supposed to bless. Then you get to Jacob. And when I study the life of Jacob, the biggest thing for me is not that I want to be like Jacob, but I'm afraid I am like him. That's the biggest thing for me because he's a manipulator. He's such a manipulator, and he wrestles things from God. Jacob is like the... Any of you guys have a dog that when you go to give it something... You have to train a dog. Be nice, nice, no, nice, 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 nice. So the dog will nibble it. Because if you don't teach the dog to do that, what does the dog do? You go to give it to the dog. Give me that. And you go, you didn't have to take it from me in half my finger, because I was giving it to you. That was Jacob. God said, Jacob, I have this for you. you have to give it to me. God says, I was giving it to you. You didn't have to take it. Jacob was so much like that, that when he was an old man, God said, We're gonna wrestle. God said to Jacob, that's it, we're done. I'm done with you, we're wrestling. God shows up and Jacob wrestles him all night long and Jacob's beat, but he won't let him go. And God says, let me go. And Jacob goes, uh-uh, uh-uh I'm gonna do it, I'm hanging on, not till you bless me. So God hits his hip out of joint. The Bible says he limped the rest of his life. What a blessing that is. <laughs> because Jacob's biggest problem was his strength. Jacob didn't learn to rely upon God. And so God blessed him by, by crippling him so that he would now trust and rely upon God. Jacob is a flake. Pat Lazovich says he's a piece of work. Jacob's a piece of work. I would never say that, but, but Pat Lazavich says that. But God's not ashamed to be called the God of Jacob. In fact, when you look it up, he's called the God of Jacob more than he's called the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. He relates himself to a person and a flaky person at that. And God's not ashamed to be called your God. Think about that when you're in school and you're a little bit ashamed to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Mock me if you want. He's not ashamed of you. I I would think of me. He would go, well, I guess I'm Robert's God, but, you know, let's put him back there in the back somewhere. (laughs) He's not ashamed to be called my God and he's not ashamed to be called your God. It goes on to say here then in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, we know what that is, right? That's all he needs to say when he was tested. What was the test? Take your son, your only son, and take him on the mountain that I show you and sacrifice him to me. It says, by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be blessed. That was the confusion God said, take your son, your only son, up to the mountain I show you and sacrifice him. And what we need to know about this before we get into what was going on in Abraham's head is that it was a foreshadowing of the cross. The mountain that God took Abraham to is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, if you go to the top of it today, there's a temple mount and there's the dome of the rock that's up on top. If you follow the ridge down, you come to a place called Calvary or Golgotha on Mount Moriah. It might have been the very same knob that Abraham went to to sacrifice Isaac on that, the very exact same place. And Isaac was 33 years old when he was sacrificed. We get the picture of him as a little boy being tied up by his father. But Isaac was 33 and Abraham was 133. Now, if you had to put money down on a fight between a 33-year-old man and a 133-year-old man, who would you put your money on? Isaac could have said, you you want to tie me up and put me on there? New plan. Let's tie you up and put you on there because you're 133 and your life is done. I got mine all ahead of me. But he didn't do that. See, he surrendered to the will of his father. There on Mount Moriah, as Jesus later on would surrender to the will of his father, and the Bible says it pleased the father to bruise his son. And I'm not just making up this correlation because the passage goes on to say that he received him back from the dead as if he was resurrected, which is a foreshadowing. That's in the Old Testament. It's a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of Jesus raising from the dead. On that glorious Sunday morning when those women went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, and the angel said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. So, what was Abraham thinking? When he took his son and tied him up and pulled back that knife and was stopped by God, look at what it says. Verse 19, concluding, this is what Abraham did, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In his mind, he said, God's got to be true. And through Isaac, the seed has to come. So God's going to raise him from the dead. He didn't understand it. He had confusion, but he was willing to do it. Even though he didn't understand what was taking place. Believing that God was going to bring him back from the dead. And he came figuratively back from the dead. Even as Jesus would rise literally back from the dead. And so the picture would be complete. You say, why did God do it? Not only to test Abraham, yes, to test Abraham, but more than that, to give us a picture of the father giving his son, that you and I would shake our heads and go, how could a father ever do that? How could a father ever be pleased to bruise his son? As it says in Isaiah 53 about God the father bruising Jesus because he loves you, because his death on the cross opened a door for you to enter into the heavenly country so that you could love God and you could walk with him. And that was the picture that was being given. Now, in conclusion, there are three lessons for us to learn from this. The the first lesson is that God calls us to a land that we don't know. God calls us to something that we don't. We don't know what the future is living for him, but now we give it to him. We say, Lord, I give up my plans, my desires, and my goals. I deny myself, and I pick up my cross, and I follow you. And that is the life of faith. And every one of us in this room is called to it, that we would lay down our lives. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. And we are going to a land and a country that we do not understand and we do not know. We're called by faith to do that. Secondly, we receive when we believe that God is faithful to keep his promises. That's when we receive from God. You want to receive what God has for you? You want to receive all that God has for you? Then you got to be like Sarah and you got to believe that God is faithful to keep his promises, everything that he said. And finally, when we don't understand what in the world is going on, when we don't understand what God's doing, anyone there? I'm there, okay? Okay. And we don't understand what God's doing. we say, "I'm going to do it anyway. I don't know what you're doing, God. I don't know why you're doing it, but here I am, and I'm going to do it." And that's faith. And that's being a man and a woman of faith. And when we do those three things, no wonder Abraham becomes the father of faith, not because he's a shining example of it, but because he is a picture of our lives and what faith looks like when we trust God for what He has said and believe it no matter what. That is the case for you and I. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank You again for Your Word. It is rich and the water of Your Word runs deep. We pray that we would be men and women of faith. Lord, we confess that, your word says it all of us like sheep have gone astray we confess our lack of confidence at times we confess our doubts we confess that we don't know what you're doing you don't always fill us in but you test us and we want to receive everything that you've promised we want to walk by faith lord for the sake of those that are lost and perishing For the sake of those who are lonely and hurting and devastated in the world that is around us. Let us walk by faith, trusting you and make a difference in this city that we're passing through. We have a heavenly country. We have a home prepared for us and we're so thankful for that. But Lord, we want to bring as many people as we can with us. So allow us to live our lives worthy of the calling we have received. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.